This morning, we will continue on our series on the letter of Galatians, Paul's letter, Paul's very first letter to the Galatian believers. So in the last few weeks, Pastor Steve has been leading us on that series, and he talked to us about that the gospel is not from man. The gospel that Paul received did not come to him from men, but he actually received it from Christ himself. And that's what he is sharing it to others. And also there is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. And the false teachers were bringing all sorts of things into the table. And Paul is saying there is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. And there is also enough grace for the worst of sinners like Paul. Paul was narrating his past experience and he was telling them how he was and how the gospel transformed his life. He's the worst of sinners, but God, the gospel transformed his life. So after Paul proclaimed and preached the gospel to the Galatian believers, the false teachers came and started preaching a different gospel to the Galatian believers. They were saying like, Paul did not got these things right. He was never with Jesus. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus and only one time. He was not a genuine, authentic uh, uh, apostle. So he must have got it wrong. So we must keep the mosaic laws, the circumcision, the keeping of the covenant and the like. So they start preaching a different gospel than the one that Paul preached. And Paul became very angry, very disappointed at the Galatian believer. How come you turn away from this gospel? How quickly you turn away from them? So, but the good news, the gospel is the good news that God loved us so much so that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we can have a new relationship with him. A relationship based on a father and a son and a daughter. So the gospel is God's grace, not our works and not our efforts or not keeping of the law. So for us this morning, the question that we're trying to answer is, what do we do with the gospel that is entrusted to us? Paul received this gospel from Christ himself, and what did he do and what can we learn from his experience? For those of us, we have received the gospel for many years. We have been walking on that path for many years. And for some of us, it may be we are, ba- we are babies or infants. And some of us, we say, what is all this church business is all about? What are we doing here? But for those of us who have known the gospel, who have received this treasure that has been entrusted to us, what are we to do? And that's what we're going to see this morning. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's precious and holy word. <clears throat> so we're going to read Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And it reads, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation And said before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, 
who slipped into spy of freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seem influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of God for the people of God and of God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So our Father, we thank you once again for your good, precious word. Your word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged word. I pray in the name of Jesus, even this morning, that you would work, your word would have its way amongst us, and that you would teach us from this word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Paul starts this section by stating that after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking along Titus with me. In Galatians chapter 1, we saw that Paul made a trip to Jerusalem three years prior from his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. In chapter 2, he's talking about a second visit that he made to Jerusalem. So his gospel came to him from Jesus Christ himself, and he did not get it from the apostles as the rest uh, of the people. So ever since he was entrusted, ever since he received the gospel from Jesus Christ, he was preaching at different places. He was traveling, he was teaching to the Gentiles and the Jews and everyone for the past 14 years. And now he began to sense a tension between the Gentiles and the Jews. And there is a potential for this tension to divide the church, the very early church. So Paul is taking this trip in Revelation because of a revelation. He's, he's, he's smart in taking Barnabas and Titus with him. He, Paul rarely travels alone. He had companions with him. Bar Barnabas is his, his partner in sharing the gospel. And Titus is one of his disciples. So a quick lesson on disciple making. So Paul not only, Titus, not only taught Titus. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to believe. But he brought him along so that he gained valuable ministry experiences. So Titus, was, he refers to him in, uh, in Titus 1.4. He refers to him as my true son in our common faith. And also in 2 Corinthians, he refers to him as my partner and fellow worker for, the benefit, for, the, for your benefit, for other people's benefit. And as we also know, uh, Barnabas was known among the leadership at Jerusalem, but Titus was a Gentile 
a Greek convert. So Paul is taking one Jew and one Gentile to come along with him to this very important meeting that he's going to have with, with the leadership at, at Jerusalem. So he's traveling with these two guys, and it may be this travel occurred, we can look at it from Acts chapter 11, verses 29. So it says, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers in Judea. There was a famine in Jerusalem. So Paul may be taking these gifts to the brothers in Jerusalem. So they, so, and they did so, sending it to the leaders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So maybe Paul is taking this gift with him as he's going there. So in verse 2 he says, I went up because of a revelation and sat before them. Though privately, before those who seemed influential, that I proclaim the gospel among the Gentiles. So during this trip, Paul used this opportunity to have a private meeting with those influential guys. And said before them, this is the gospel that I am preaching among the Gentiles. He knew that the gospel he preached is true and authentic and it's genuine. But he didn't know where the, where the leaders at Jerusalem stood because they have never seen him. They have only seen him. He said, they have, you have only seen me for two weeks. And now he's traveling after 11 years to this meeting. So he's saying, this is the gospel I am preaching. Are we in agreement? So this morning, I think there are at least three things we can learn from Paul's engagement with the leadership at Jerusalem and what he did with the gospel that he was interested. And also in, 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 we can also look that for ourselves. So what do we do with a precious gospel that is entrusted to our care? And I suggest to you that we can, the first thing we can do is we have to proclaim or we can proclaim the gospel and we have to preserve the truth of the gospel and we have to partner with other believers. So the first point, we have to proclaim the gospel. And Paul said we have to proclaim to the gospel to everyone. As Paul is traveling to meet to this leadership in Jerusalem, he's maybe thinking, you know, how would this meeting turn out? Would we be in agreement? We would be able to work this thing out together. They have known, they, they, they don't know me. I don't know them very well. So Paul knew that the gospel is for everybody, for everyone. And in Romans 1, 16, it says, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. Paul's understanding of the gospel is it is for everyone. So the gospel, we think it is for some, for some people, like the, 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 the Jerusalem guys who are thinking, like this gospel is reserved for the Jews only. But Paul is saying it's also for the Gentiles, and it is everyone. So our gospel is for our housemates, it's for our gods, it's for, our, for the shoeshine boys, for the street vendors. It's a gospel is for the traffic policemen. Even for the traffic policemen, I was thinking, these guys are very hard, you know, these traffic officers. The gospel even is for them. The gospel is for the rich. The gospel is for the poor. The gospel is for our children. The gospel is for our friends, for, for our colleagues. We can't, we can't differentiate. This is the gospel is for everyone. It is for everybody. 
So there is one uh, member at IEC, and we have this uh, contact information in our bulletin as you came in, you receive. So in it, you can state your prayer request. This is for, prayer, for your prayer request to write to us. And there is one lady who always writes, every week, who always writes for the salvation of her family. When we, we, we meet as, as elders to pray over these prayer items, and we are always amazed. We gave you this opportunity for everyone, but there is only one lady who took this opportunity. She wrote this prayer request. She said, I want my families to receive Jesus Christ. Can you pray for so-and-so? So the gospel is for everyone. So let us use this opportunity. And Paul is also saying the gospel, we have to proclaim the gospel without adding or subtracting or deducting something out of it. Paul knew that the gospel he was interested and proclaimed among the Gentiles was true and authentic. The Gentiles, they don't have to become Jews first in order to be saved. But he was not sure where the apostles stood on that important issue. So he sought this agreement with the leadership at Jerusalem that the Gentiles and Jews are equal. That the Gentiles don't have to do anything extra to earn God's favor, like to be circumcised or follow the Mosaic law. Or for the Jews to do anything less because they are the chosen people of God. So we can't add or subtract or deduct anything out from God's word. And Moses commanded the Israelites, you shall not add to the word that I command to you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command to you. So as we proclaim the gospel to everyone, we cannot deduct or add anything, but we have to proclaim it as it is. And Paul also said he wants to make sure that he did not run or had run in vain. So this is an interesting case. Paul made a defense of the gospel to these Galatians, and he took these two witnesses. One is Barnabas, and the other is Titus. They have been with him as he proclaimed the, the gospel to the Gentiles, and they have seen how the gospel worked among the Gentiles. Barnabas is a very well-known figure among the, the leadership at Jerusalem. He was in Acts 4 where he sold his own field and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And also Titus was the test case. Titus was presented as an example of what the grace of God can do to the Gentiles. And interestingly, they didn't force Titus to be circumcised, though he was a Jew, though he was a Gentile. They accepted him as he was, and that was significant. And that was victory for Paul against those false teachers. But Paul was sensitive. He was very sensitive and was not looking to stir up trouble or divide the church, the early church. He knew he was right, but he was not looking to shame those leaders. So he dealt with it privately and humbly. He spoke to those who were influential, esteemed and the pillars of faith in private. So his desire was to correct the teaching and be in agreement with the leaders. So there is this great lesson for us that we can learn from Paul when we deal with, those, with these kind of issues. When we are confronted with sensitive issues that have the potential to divide, it is wise to deal with it privately and humbly. Now, 
these false teachers were forcing these new converts to be circumcised. And, but this circumcision was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 as a sign of covenant between Abraham and his descendants. It's the cutting away of the male foreskin. It's a sign of initiation into the Jewish faith. Paul was not condemning circumcision as a sinful act, but he was condemning it for forcing circumcision of Gentile believers as necessary for salvation. This he confronted vigorously. The circumcision that is needed is one done in our hearts, not in our bodies, according to Romans 2.28. So Paul wanted to make sure that he did not run or had run in vain. He wanted to proclaim the gospel very well. He wants to make sure his effort, his, his labor in the gospel succeed and bear fruit by God's grace. In Philippians 2.16, Paul said, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He wants the gospel to bear fruit. He wants to proclaim it very well. So what do we do with the gospel that is entrusted to us? We have to proclaim it to everyone. We have to proclaim it without adding or deducting. We have to also proclaim it very well, bearing fruit. That's the first point. So the second point, so what do we do with the gospel that is entrusted to us? We have to preserve the truth of the gospel. Paul said in verse 4, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. So these false teachers or false brothers, I'm surprised that he called them brothers. Paul is very, very humble. <laughs> we wouldn't call them false brothers, but he said, these are false brothers. They are all brothers, but they were mislaid. So how, what do we do with this kind of situation? And Paul is saying we have to confront these false teachers. We don't have to submit to their false teaching and also we have to even check and examine those who seem to be influential and leaders. So when Paul was so worried that the gospel that he preached among these Gentiles was in danger because of these false brothers. These false brothers were secretly brought in if they were right, if they have the truth, why would they do it secretly? Why would they sleep in into these churches for the sole purpose to spy on the freedom that is they found in Christ and to bring these brothers into bondage, into slavery? These false teachers or brothers were saying, you know, these Gentiles, they couldn't take, you know, get it in their minds that these Gentiles can just simply receive the grace. We have been keeping the law of God for, for our lives, starting from the beginning, starting from the eighth day since they were circumcised. We have been keeping this law, this mosaic law, keeping the Sabbath and all of those things. And these Gentiles, without doing all of these things, they're just going to receive the grace of God just like that. They couldn't get this into their minds. So, so this, Paul regards 
this imposition of circumcision of all of those things on the Gentile believers uh, as putting them back into slavery and depriving them of the freedom that Christ came to usher in. And I'm surprised that Paul is a Jew. He was circumcised. He kept all the mosaic laws. Why would he fight these kind of things? He could have just simply said, this is not my problem. This is Gentiles' problem. Let them deal with it. Let them, Titus and, and Timothy, let the others deal with it. But he knew if the message of the gospel is compromised, it will be bondage both for the Jews and the Gentiles. So even today, we have false teachers all over the place. Those who teach a different gospel, a prosperity gospel, a health and wealth gospel, these teachings have to be confronted and corrected. And how do we do that? There are a lot of false teachings around us. And we sometimes say, oh, this is false, oh, this is right. But how do we identify a false teaching from the one that is true? Most of the time, these false teachers draw attention to themselves. They dress very well like me. <laughs> they put a lot of emphasis on themselves. And the best way to identify false teaching is to know the truth. They use our ignorance to mislead us. So if we know the truth, if we spend time in, in God's word, it is easy to identify those false teachings. Paul is saying, not only we have to confront them, but we also have to uh, not submit to their false teaching. He said in verse 5, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So when the truth of the gospel is at stake, there is no time to waste and there is no time to compromise. The response is not to yield in submission. Uh, I remember when I was young in my, in my faith journey, and I was studying theology with some people, and, uh, and I was asked. I was asked by these super students from this, uh, from this college, and they have asked me, do you have the gift of speaking in tongues? And, uh, and I checked myself and I said, no, I don't have this, the gift. I was not blessed with this gift. I don't have this gift. And they said, no, 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 then you are not a Christian. Then you, your salvation is at stake if you don't have this gift. So th that put me in doubt. And I began to ask myself, is this really true? If I don't have this gift, does it mean that I'm not saved? And I was troubled for some time until I came to a better understanding of what the Bible teaches about salvation by grace alone. So what kind of practices do we make that makes it difficult for people to come to a saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? I recognize for some of our young people that have not fully experienced the freedom that is found in Christ, we may even push them to act in certain ways. 
I have seen that also with my children. You know, I, I, I force them to act in certain ways and dress in certain styles and, and also speak in certain tones in the name of protecting them or, you know, we've, we've made it difficult for some people to experience the delight that is found in Christ. Great, there is great value in teaching and guiding our youth and our young people, but we have to allow them also to enjoy and delight to express their freedom of their faith in Christ. So what is freedom in Christ? We talk a lot about freedom these days. So what is freedom in Christ? The freedom that Paul is talking about is a freedom that is found in the Bible. It is to be justified by faith and not works. We don't have to work. We don't have to keep the laws to earn our salvation. Freedom from the requirement of the law to receive salvation. It is not freedom just to do as we wish or indulge in our sinful behavior. We, have to in, we, we are freed to enjoy and delight in what God has made us and saved us for. Paul also talked about these, uh, these influential leaders. You know, he's saying we have to even examine those influential leaders. In verse 6 he talks about, and from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I see who seemed influential added nothing to me. Sometimes we don't question or examine those who seem influential. We just trust their words without proper examination. Paul is saying everyone is equal in the presence of God. Who or what they are makes no difference to me. He was not impressed by their credentials, their tone of voice, their appearance. For God shows no partiality. God loves us all saved us all, gifted us all accordance to his grace. So we have to examine, check those leaders. We have to even examine our, our pastors. Um, I remember when I was going through the pastoral process here at the church, this, the ordination process for a pastoral role, it took me months to prepare my position paper, what I believe on, on the basic beliefs of Christian life. And I have to appear before a panel of elders, theologians, and everybody there all lined up. And some of you are already seated here who examined me. And I tell you, it was not fun. <laughs> they have been asking me all, of, all sorts of questions. For more than two hours, they have been asking me, what about this, what about that, where do we find this, what do you think about this? So it's good to be asked. So they told me, read better, you know, get <laughs> study on these issues and the like. So I'm grateful for, those, for that opportunity. So everybody is equal before God. So we have to even ask, examine, check out leaders or pastors. So at IEC, you know, whatever is being taught, our elders check what is being taught. And we also discuss prior to the preaching and also after that. In these days, there is a lot of teaching. A lot of teaching on the churches, on media platforms, and everywhere. Some of them are good, some of them are not so good. Maybe they are even false teaching. So how do we, how do we, do we just simply listen or accept this message or examine them? 
like the Berian people who checked out Paul's teaching. You know, in Acts 11, this says, it says, they received Paul's message, the Berian people, they received Paul's message with eagerness. They were eager, they were glad for the message and examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul, if what Paul said was true. If the Berian people checked the Apostle Paul, you better check what I say or what other people said in this place if, to see if it matches what the scripture teaches. So we have to preserve the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is at stake everywhere. We have to confront this false teaching. We do not submit to that false teachings. And also we have to examine even our own leaders and believers. So the last point Paul is talking about is partnering with other gospel believers. Verse 7, it says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he works through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through mine, for, through me for mine to the Gentiles. Paul is talking about how do we partner with others as we minister to the Gentiles and everyone. So the first thing he says, we have to recognize the grace, the gift given to each other. And we have to also fellowship and support one another. And we have to make efforts to engage together. So the first point under partnering with the gospel believers is recognize the gift given to each other. Here we see two great apostles, Paul and Peter. Paul, uh, Peter was with Jesus right from the beginning. He had been taught by Jesus. He had seen what Jesus did and preached and all of those things. But Paul only met Jesus once on the road to Damascus. He had this unique experience. But these two guys are very different. They're very different. You remember uh, in, in Acts uh, 10 where Peter really struggled to the, go to the house of uh, this Gentile believer Cornelius and to share the gospel with him. Paul, uh, Peter had a hard time reaching out to the, to the Gentile believers. But for Paul, it's kind of second to nature. He, he really got it right from the beginning. It says in, in 9.15, Jesus, the Lord said of Paul, this man... This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. So right from the beginning, Paul was commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So as an apostle, Paul is no way less or inferior to Peter. He wants to assure the Galatian believers that that they should not doubt his apostleship, that he's not less than Peter, that they should not think because they received the gospel through Paul that they got it wrong. He, he's assuring them that, you know, just as Peter was called to the Jews, I am called to the Gentiles by Christ himself. This is not to say that Paul will not reach to, to the Jews or Peter to the Gentiles, but it's generally it's a recognition of their grace. So the Holy Spirit 
give gifts to everyone. It's upon us as leaders, as community, as church to recognize and to find out those gifts and use them. And secondly, in uh, verses 9, it says, When James, that's the Lord's brother, and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So this is a partnership of supporting one another, recognizing that Paul was entrusted to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But they want to stand together. This is remarkable. You know, this is kind of a relief for Paul. So when he started in verse 1, he was, he was not sure where the, where the apostles stood on that issue. And towards verse 9, he felt comforted. He said, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. So he was, um, he was relieved. He was glad that they have these things sorted out. But later on, we will know that these things really got heated and it also divided the church. Uh, at IEC, we have this uh, stated in our phase statement. It says, in essential beliefs, we have unity. Like salvation by grace, the inerrancy of scripture, the days and bodily resurrection of Jesus, we have unity on those beliefs. But in non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. Like the way we worship, like the way we do baptism, like the way we do ministry. But in all beliefs, we have love, we have unity. So it is easy to find something that divides us. Even as I look out from here, I see you all are different. We all are different. It is, it's not dif difficult to find out if something that divides. What is difficult is to find something that brings us together. What unites us, what unifies us. So it's upon us to find those things. And lastly, Paul said in verse 10, Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Even though we are different, we have to find ways to work together. So there is one example. He gave one example of where they can partner together. Paul was eager to help the poor. In particular, those poor who are living in Jerusalem, they were suffering because of famine. He made a lot of efforts to collect donations for these believers. And they were saying, okay, let's partner on these things. And Paul said, I am happy to do these things. I am eager to do those things. Here again at IEC, we have people from mission agencies, from SIM, from navigators. We have uh, people from NGOs like Make Your Mark or Hope for the Fatherless. We have also a college next door. And we have, we have a lot of people, a lot of agencies. And as gospel believers, we have to find ways to work together. And it is very sad. As gospel believers, we are so divided amongst ourselves. If you go out into the churches, the churches are already divided along so many lines. And it is sad. And that's what the enemy does. But as gospel believers, we have to. It's upon us to find ways to partner and work, work together. So what do we do with a gospel that is entrusted to us? The same gospel that was entrusted to Paul is entrusted to us. 
We have to proclaim it faithfully. We have to defend it. We have to preserve it vigorously. And we have to also partner with those other gospel believers. To those of you who have not experienced the grace of God that is to be found in Christ Jesus, I want to encourage you, perhaps challenge you, to examine the claim that is to be found in the gospel and see for yourself and ask God to show you and to lead you into his truth. The gospel of Jesus is for the lost, it's for the sinners, it's for the broken. And Jesus says, come to me, all who you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to Jesus and allow him to transform your lives by the power of his spirit. Let us pray. So our Father, we thank you that you have trusted us enough to entrust the gospel to us. You made us partners with you in sharing the gospel. In this day and age, Lord, the gospel that you entrusted to us is being attacked from different angles, different directions, Lord. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to proclaim your truth to everyone, to those around us, Lord, to those who are close and to those who are far away, wherever the opportunity, Lord, that you may have presented to us, Lord. May we seize those opportunities to share your truth to others, Lord. And may we defend the truth of the gospel, Lord. There are a lot of teachings everywhere, Lord. May we be found faithful, Lord, in preserving your gospel. May we also find ways to work together. May we make every effort, Lord, as gospel believers, not to look to the things that divide us, but to make every effort to find ways to work together so that the gospel may have headways. It may impact others. I want to also pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who have not experienced the grace that is to be found in you, Lord. May you touch their hearts, their minds by the power of your spirit. And may you bring them to the truth of your word, to the truth of your son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.